All right. Well, we don't have worship again tonight. Uh, it always feels so awkward to, you know, start out because we're kind of, I'm kind of in a habit now of having a little bit of worship. When we first started the church, we um, Lamentations chapter three, we had our Sunday mornings, of course, and and I started a a Wednesday night study. Uh, right away and um, on Wednesday night sometimes because Trace would be in the back room with our kids and kind of preparing for any other children that might show up and there would be times that there would be like one person there at the Bible study and that was always kind of an awkward thing but anyway the Lord knows did you guys read ahead did you read Lamentations chapter 3 I hope you did. Well, you guys are kind of drab tonight. Come on, come on. I'm asking you a question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, there we go. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you've read it, and if you're familiar with Lamentations, and, you know, if you've been coming to the study, you've at least had a taste of it. It is a heavy book. I mean, it is, it is dark. It is dreary. It is depressing. You know, I think of last week as, as Nate was going through chapter 2 and we see kind of the shadows of famine and, and the things that the famine was leading to. Uh, in verse 20, should, should the women eat their offspring, the children they have cuddled? And you just think, really, it was that bad? How could it be? You know, how horrible. And yet, it was that bad. And as I mentioned when we looked at the first chapter, that it didn't have to be that way. It was that bad, but it didn't have to be that way. You know, uh, sadly, the children of Israel had really brought this upon themselves because they would not obey the Lord. They would not listen. They would not obey. And you guys, listen, if we, if we look at the scriptures and even the Old Testament scriptures, you know, don't ever fall into that trap where, well, that's the Old Testament, so there's nothing really applicable for me. Um, the Word of God is, is applicable to all of us, you know, and we can glean from the Word of God regardless of where we're reading. Maybe the details, you know, the specifics of things that were happening to different people in the Old Testament, maybe those things aren't applicable but application is always applicable, you know. Um, I look at Lamentations and the heaviness of it, and I just think of the ramifications of sin. Now, you know, when you look at Israel, we don't look at Israel in terms of saved or lost. We look at Israel in terms of they were a chosen nation. They were the chosen nation of God. They were the nation that God chose to bring the Messiah into the world uh, through that group of people. And so they were special people. God had a purpose for them. God had a plan for them. But God also blessed them abundantly. He sent his prophets to the children of Israel. He sent Moses and gave the law to the children of Israel. He gave the, the sacrificial system, the Sabbath, all of these different things he gave to the children of Israel. And, um, and he expected you know, them to respond favorably, to, to be thankful, for one. I think it's interesting when you look at the Old Testament and as the Lord kind of recounts the children of Israel, their wanderings in the wilderness, he makes reference to the fact that they were unthankful. And, um, you know, he gave them manna in the morning, bread from heaven. He gave them quail, meat. He gave them water from a rock. He led them by a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. Uh, you know, he gave them victory in their battles. Um, I mean, just over and over and over again, these blessings, many, many blessings. He settled them in the land. He gave them the land. He promised that the land would be theirs. Um, you know, the promises that he made 
to Abraham the man were extended, of course, to the offspring of Abraham, the children of Israel. And yet you, you go through the book of Jeremiah and this whole rebellion of the people, and it's just so sad. It didn't have to be that way. It didn't have to be that way. You know, I've, I've known, and you guys know, Christians, and it's not a matter of, you know, saved or um, maybe they lost their salvation, but it's a matter of obedience and, you know, and walking in disobedience and reaping the consequences of that. So, you know, there's much more to our relationship with the Lord than just being saved. I'm not, I'm not saying that lightly. I mean, that is, that is so important. But relationship, you know, um, it's a weak illustration, but, you know, it would be like uh, a married couple, you know. Uh, we don't talk to each other. We don't have, we, we don't like each other. Uh, we put up with each other. But we're going to stay married, doggone it. And you go, well, good for you. Wow. I mean, are we supposed to, you know, applaud such, you know, and, and it's just kind of, it's a sad thing because you say, man, there's expectations in a, in a marriage. There should, be, there should be communication. There should be joy. There should be love. There should be relationship. There should be the give and the take. And there should be the, you know, standing uh, with your spouse um, through the good times and the bad times and so on and so forth. You know, the wedding vows that many times people say. And our relationship with the Lord, it's not just, are you saved? If you're saved, that's fine. Then go ahead and live your life any way you want. Because in one sense, Israel, you know, if we're talking about saved, and again, it's a, it's a weird word to use when we're speaking of Israel. Uh, it was a different spiritual economy. And, but when you look at Israel, they were God's people. They were God's wife. You know the terminology, um, Israel was God's wife. You say, well, wait a minute, I thought the, the church is bri the, the bride of Christ. That's right, we're the bride of Christ. We're not the wife of Christ, we're the bride of Christ. There's a, there's a difference there. We're waiting for the marriage supper, right? We're, we are betrothed, but we haven't come together. That's going to come at the second coming of Christ. But Israel was seen as Israel's wife. But what do we see Israel doing? They would, they would play the harlot. It's almost as if they were cheating on their husband, Yahweh, over and over and over again. And now we see the ramifications of, of that. So chapter 3 of Lamentations and verse 1, it says, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. Now, I, the I there, is believed to be Jeremiah. So chapter 2, Jeremiah was kind of speaking of you know, this is a condition of the city of Jerusalem, the, you know, the temple, you know, once there was feasting and all of this. And he's kind of describing it as he's looking in at the city, at the destruction, at the famine, all these things. But then you get to chapter 3, and it's as if Jeremiah says, no, now I'm going to tell you what I'm dealing with, how I'm seeing this, how this is affecting me personally. And so you'll see that I uh, quite often in our text. It says in verse 2, He has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. That word, or those words, he has, um, in the New King James, I don't want you to count it um, because you'll be distracted, but I think it, he uses it 17 times in in chapter 3. He has, he has, he has, he has. And of course, the he there is God. So keep that in mind. Jeremiah is saying, this is what I feel. This is what I'm experiencing. Again, verse 1, I am the man who has seen affliction, but 
uh, by the rod of his wrath. He has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely he has turned his hand against me time and time again throughout the day. He has aged my flesh and my skin and broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and woe or hardship. He has set me in dark places like the dead of long ago. He has hedged me in so that I cannot get out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my path crooked. He has, he has been to me a bear lying in wait, like a lion in ambush. Um, I don't think that necessarily Jeremiah was thinking of Babylon when he says a lion in ambush. But remember, the lion was the symbol for Babylon, for the nation of Babylon. I think he was just simply speaking of, you know, like a bear and a lion. <laughs> um, he has turned aside my ways and tore me in pieces. He has made me desolate. He has bent his bow and set me as a target for the arrow. He has caused the arrows of his quiver to pierce my loins. I have become the ridicule of all my people, their taunting song all the day long. Now, that's an interesting verse because remember this chronologically when this is happening. The destruction has come. The Babylonians have come. They've sacked the city three times. They've taken away the captivities, uh, the uh, people captive. The ones that are left are, you know, really in bad shape. They're starving and they're suffering in so many ways. And it's interesting that as Jeremiah writes this, he says, I've become the ridicule of my people. To me, you would think that after all the things that Jeremiah spoke as the spokesman of God concerning the things that were coming, after these things were fulfilled, you would think that the people would say, you know, Jeremiah, you were right. We're sorry we didn't listen to you. But apparently there were those that were still ridiculing him, still mocking him. Verse 15, he goes back to the he has. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drink wormwood. Remember, wormwood means bitter. He has also broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ashes. You have moved my soul far, far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. Let me read that verse out of the New Living Translation, verse 18. It says, my splendor is gone. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. So you read those first 18 verses, and um, it is pretty bleak. I mean, it is, it is really bleak. And, and, and some of the things, as you read through it, um, I wonder to myself, Jeremiah, were you, were you personally feeling these things? Or were you writing as the people that were left behind or maybe even those who have gone into captivity? Now, you know, some of them are going to die in captivity. Are you writing from their perspective? Are you writing, this is what I'm feeling, Jeremiah? I'm feeling these things. Are you saying, this is what we're feeling? This is, we feel rejected. We feel hedged in. We feel like uh, you don't listen to our prayers. We feel like, we feel like, we feel like. And, you know, most commentators would say that no, Jeremiah was speaking uh, on his own behalf, speaking of his own experience, his own feelings and all. And, and that could be, you know. It wouldn't be surprising. We see others in the Bible going through times of affliction and they lose perspective. We see this quite often in the Psalms. David, for example, in his Psalms, not just David, but Asaph and some of the other psalmists, you know, they would, they would kind of start a psalm and 
And um, I think of Psalm, is it um, 78, Asaph? Uh, it's been a while since I've read it, but he says, uh, you know, I would have lost heart. Uh, you know, he, he was kind of looking around, he was losing perspective until he went into the house of the Lord and then he got perspective. Remember that? And David, of course, would go through that. David would feel like, gosh, Lord, you're, you're against me. You are, you are fighting against, you know, I'm fighting your enemies on your behalf. And I feel like you're fighting me. And there were times that David would lose perspective. But many times in David's psalms, and I, I think it's wonderful, some of his shorter psalms, where he might start out in the depths of despair. He's lost perspective. He's looked at his circumstances through the lens of his own limited understanding. And uh, hopelessness, you know, began to reign in his heart. And then there's a change that takes place. And, and in many of David's short little psalms, he goes from the depths of despair to hope in the Lord, faith in the Lord. So I, I, I don't think, so I, I look at this and I say, um, I can get life application out of that. Because I know in my own walk with the Lord, you know, there's been times where um, I felt uh, deserted by the Lord. Have you ever felt deserted by the Lord? Felt like my prayers were not heard by the Lord. Kind of wondering, what have I done, Lord? Why is there this, um, this wall? I feel like I'm hedged in. I feel like I'm, you know, uh, just kind of in a tight place. Why, Lord? What have I done? And you kind of, you know, wrestle with these, these um, thoughts and feelings. I wrote this down. I'm not sure where it came from, but it says despair causes us to look at God through our circumstances and creates hopelessness. Faith enables us to look at our circumstances through the reality of who God is, and gives us hope. So. If you guys have read this, maybe, um, you know, when you read the first 18 verses of this chapter, maybe you were thinking, boy, I, I can't imagine how hard this must have been for Jeremiah and for those that were left and for those who were taken into captivity, all of the uncertainties and everything else. And then you get to verse 19 and something happens. Verse 19, remember my affliction. Well, it seems as if he's saying to the Lord, Lord, remember my affliction and roaming. Um, the wormwood and the gall, my soul shall remember. Then verse 10, he says, Lord, I want you to remember these things, see these things. But then verse 20, he does some remembering. He says, my soul still remembers and sinks within me. Look at verse 21. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. See, something's happening here. He's, because of his relationship with the Lord, even though he might be in the depths of despair, he's discouraged, he's depressed, he stops and he remembers. He recalls. What is he recalling? Well, we're going to see, as the text goes on, we're going to see what he was thinking about, what he was remembering concerning the Lord. And I'll tell you guys, this is life application that all of us should, should uh, really <laughs> take hold of it, it, because he does the right thing. Verse 22. Through the, the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. It's almost as if he's sitting there and, and he's saying, you know, Lord, regardless of what I feel or what I even see around me, I know this to be true. Because of your mercies, I'm not consumed. We're not consumed. You know, Lord, you could have easily just spoke and we would have ceased to exist. Rather than sending your people, your children into captivity for 70 years, 
you could have just said, enough, I'm done. And they were no more. And there was no memory of them. But that's not God. God, God is merciful. Look at the rest of that verse. Because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. You say, oh, I recognize that verse. We know that verse. We recognize that verse. But do you know what? Many of us are surprised when we see the context of that verse. This is one of those verses we might have in our little promise books or, you know, little, if you have a, I don't know what they're called, the little box with the scriptures and you pull out a scripture and you can read a scripture. And all the scriptures are so uplifting and encouraging. And this surely would be one of those scriptures that would be in one of those little uh, scripture boxes. Uh, speaking of his compassion, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. Think of the context of this. Great is your faithfulness. Your mercies are new every morning. The Lord is my portion. The Lord is my allotment. Guys, we need perspective when we're going through difficult times. Because we all go through difficult times. And, you know, we've got to be grounded in our faith. How do we get grounded in, in our faith? The Word of God. The Word of God. Tracy uh, was, we were talking this morning, and um, she was talking about the ladies' study, and she said, you know, Denny, um, some of the ladies have commented, and I, I see it as well. She says, it's so wonderful that you'll be teaching something on Sunday morning, and then we'll do our ladies' Bible study, and... The, the study will be dealing with the exact same verses and everything. And I said, you know, babe, that's what the Bible says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Again, it's not a magical thing. It's a very practical thing. It's the word of God always confirming itself, always confirming itself. You know, I was telling Trace that to me, I find it interesting. Um, I can have this pattern on Sunday evening. Um, I listen to a Calvary Chapel pastor. I listen to him every Sunday evening. And um, sometimes as I'm listening to him, he is saying, he's using the same verses I used that morning. So he's in Hawaii. So what is that, five hours time difference? So it's not like I'm listening to him or he's, you know, there, there's no connection there. I, I don't know the man personally. But, um, but he'll say the same thing or, or give the same illustrations. And sometimes I just sit back and, I'll, and then I'll listen to other teachers uh, throughout the week and there'll be a similar experience. And it just reminds me, it is the same word. We're not necessarily teaching the same text all the time, but we have the same Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit has an agenda the Holy Spirit wants to teach things. And sometimes, you know, you see this, this flow. And, oh, wow, well, you must have, you know, you know, you must have been listening to so-and-so. And you got that from him or whatever. And, well, no, it's just, it's just the word of God. And it's just, you know, this, you see this beautiful union of the word of God and the spirit of God. And, and Jeremiah, I, I just think it's so wonderful. I love the way... He, he just stops and he thinks and he recalls and as he's recalling and he's looking around and, and he's just railed on the Lord. I mean, if this is a personal thing that he's feeling, you've done this, you've done that, you've, you know, you've, you've, it's almost as all these accusations that he's bringing against the Lord. And then he just stops and he ponders and he gets perspective and he says, therefore, at the end of verse 24, therefore, I hope in him. Well, wait a minute, Jeremiah, you were despairing of hope. You, you said in verse 18, I said my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. And yet, once you get to verse 24, therefore I have hope in him. So there's a remedy. We need to be people of the word of God. We need to know the word of God. And we need to read the word of God. We need to be settled in the word of God.
and we won't be easily shaken. My sister has a friend who is involved in this weird kind of teaching that's really based on the law. And my sister, sadly, and, and my sister, I'm not picking on my sister, but she's like so many people. She's been a Christian for a long time, but there's been very little spiritual growth. And which means when trials and tribulations come, she's easily moved from a place of, you know, just standing in the Lord. And um, she had visited this friend and came back, and she was just all tied in knots spiritually, you know. Um, so... Um, her friend says, we need to sanctify ourselves. Um, you know, listen, when people say stuff, guys, and it's not rude to do this, it's good. I mean, because you might learn something, but they might learn something. <laughs> but we've got to sanctify ourselves. Where is that verse? Can you show me that verse? See, a lot of times people throw things out and, you know, it sounds so convincing. <laughs> so, yeah, we've got to do it, you know. But the Bible teaches we have been sanctified. Sanctified means to be made holy. So we have been sanctified. We are being sanctified, so it is a process. And one day we will be sanctified. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what the New Testament teaches. Nowhere does it say we need to sanctify ourselves. How do we make ourselves holy? It is the work of the Spirit of God. Now, we participate by yielding to the Holy We don't fight against them. We don't say, you know, I'm just going to party and do whatever I want to do. And, and you just keep that work of sanctification going in my life. You know, we need to yield. We need to obey. We need to do our, our part. But it is truly a work of God. So, see, you, you hear things like that, and if you're not grounded in your faith, then you begin to wonder, and you begin to worry, because you live with yourself, and so you say, man, if I'm responsible for sanctifying myself, for making myself holy, and there was another statement that was made, we need to work for our salvation. Oh, man, the alarms were going off when that one was said. Where in the world do you see that verse? Where do, show me a verse where we work for our salvation. We don't work for our salvation. In fact, the very, I mean, 180 from that is spoken. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy that we have been saved. We can't work for it. Uh, remember the prophet Isaiah. He, no, he wasn't speaking to the church. He was speaking to Israel. But he said, um, their righteousness is like filthy rags. Remember, and, and remember the word that's used there, it's, it's, it's gross, but, but it, it, it's important to point it out so that we could understand and appreciate what Jeremiah was saying. Of course, Jeremiah is speaking on behalf of God, so God's saying this. It speaks of menstrual rags. So these aren't something that you'd want to keep around. These are something you want to get rid of. They're dirty, they're filthy. And under the law, they would be considered unclean. Remember, even a woman who has a discharge of blood for her monthly, uh, you know, period would be unclean under the law. Doesn't mean she's in sin. It means she's ceremonially unclean. And remember, when you read the book of Leviticus, there were details, you know. If she sits on a cushion, then that cushion becomes unclean. She sits on a chair, that chair becomes unclean. And it was this understanding so that the children of Israel would know, we need God. Man, it, God, you are, you're, I mean, you dot every I, you cross every T, you know, if there were I's and T's in Hebrew, which there aren't, but, but, but Lord, you, you are so detailed, and, and you demand perfection, and, um, and I'm not, I'm not, I can't do this, 
And that was the purpose of the law. We know that from the writings of Paul. The law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. You know. But I think it's so important, guys, that we, we know the character of God. This women's study, looking at the names of God, I've just heard nothing but wonderful things from the study. Not that I hear criticism from the women's study, but ever. But, but there's been a lot of ladies that have just said, oh, that's such a wonderful study. What are they doing? They're just simply studying the name of God. Now, the name of God is what God gives to humans. So he's, now I'm going to describe myself. Here's, here's a name. And it speaks of his character, an aspect of his character. And so that's why the ladies are so blessed as they're going through the names or looking at the character of God. And why wouldn't that be a blessing, you know, to see the character of God? But this is what Jeremiah was doing in the midst of all of this destruction and woe and, and just, oh gosh, it's so ugly and it's so horrible and it's come just as God said it would come, you know. And he's sitting there and he's reflecting upon the the compassion of God, the mercies of God, the faithfulness of God, and his hope begins to rise in the Lord. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. Verse 25, to the soul who seeks him. Now look that, look at that. In that verse, we have wait and seek. So waiting does not mean we just kind of sit down and say, I'm just, I'm just sitting here. What are you doing? Oh, nothing. I'm just sitting here just waiting on the Lord. No, waiting on the Lord is seeking the Lord. It's pursuing the Lord. It says, okay, now look at this, guys. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly. Look at the next verse. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Men, women, <laughs> mark this verse. Know this verse. I, you know, I love this verse. I don't know when I first found the verse. I don't think I found it soon enough. Um, I, I, I read the verse, and, and I love the verse, but I think I'm embarrassed, to be honest, because I think of as a young Christian, if only I would have known this verse and understood this verse, but I didn't. I would fret, and I would worry, and I would wonder, why, Lord, why does it feel like everything is so heavy, and why is everything so hard, and, and, and Lord... I thought it would be easier to walk with you and to serve you. And, 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 and why do I feel alone, Lord? And why and why and why and why and why? And I'll tell you, I didn't know at the time, but the Lord was teaching me that it is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. And, and the Lord might be teaching you this very thing. It is good for a man, for a woman, to bear the yoke in their youth. Listen. <laughs> Life is hard. Life is hard. Um, there are so many blessings in life. But with each of those blessings is attached difficulties. Marriage is a blessing. But marriage is hard. Marriage is extremely hard. This is why so many people give up on it. You have a man and a woman. They've been raised by, by, by different parents. Um, there's different backgrounds. Sometimes there's different, you know, cultural, there's cultural differences. And there's, anyway, you, you come together. You know, I, I think of when Tracy and I, um, started dating, it, this isn't a big deal, but, but I just think of how when I would go to Tracy's parents' house, her mother would, would make these um, like wonderful gourmet dinners for special like Christmas or something like, you know, things that are on fire, 
when they are brought to the table, you know, flaming stuff. And, um, and I thought, boy, that's, that's different, you know. And uh, in our home, um, my mom was meat and potatoes. We ate a lot of meat and a lot of potatoes and, and stuff like that. And um, we rarely sat at the table. We, would, we, would, we had um, TV trays, and we'd all be camped out in front of the TV. That was our family. Tracy and I, we started dating, and, um, you know, Tracy has to be in bed by 7 o'clock because she has to be up at 4 o'clock in the morning so that she could be on the ice at 5 o'clock in the morning. Well, we didn't even start living until after 10 o'clock at night, you know, and, and our, 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 the, the whole schedule was different. When we would go out um, with her parents, we would go to places like the ballet. You know, that's a culture shock, you know. You, you sit there in the San Diego Ballet Company and they... You know, and, and just about the time you think it's over, you know, then they they just applaud and applaud and applaud. I'm thinking of all the concerts I went to, you know, after a while, you just, okay, let's go home. But they just kind of kept going. And, and then another one would come out and, you know, and then another and another, and then flowers would be presented. And you just go, wow. <laughs> you know. When we first got married, we're living in Santa Barbara, and every Tuesday night, Tracy's parents, it's, <laughs> I'm not saying this correctly, but it's a little tongue-in-cheek. They had season tickets to the symphony. Yeah. <laughs> so we would go to the symphony. And, um, and Tracy's dad was so cool. You know, I'm, I'm working, I'm a, you know, I'm a, apprentice carpenter labor working all day would go on Tuesday nights I would sit in there the lights would be down you know dun, dun, dun. and I would just I'd be like fighting it fighting it fighting it. and I think after the second time Tracy's dad pulled me aside as we were walking and he says you know what, Danny sleep he goes a lot of people sleep during these days <laughs> And I just kind of slouched down in my comfortable chair. And... <laughs> oh. But you know, there's differences. It's, it's hard. Oh, children. Oh, gosh. Is there any greater blessing than children? Grandchildren. Yes, grandchildren, yeah. <laughs> but children, you know, you, you, you have these kiddos, and especially when they're so young, they're manageable. You know, when they're young, they're like little. Chicks, you know, you just get them in the coop and, you know, this is what we do. But then they get bigger and they start going in all different directions. It's a blessing to have children, but it's the hardest thing you could do because you love them so much. And so any good parent disciplines their child because they don't want their child to grow up and be a terror, right? And this is what the Bible teaches. And so... Sometimes, as a parent, you feel like, man, you're always the heavy. You're always coming down. Now, then you go back to the marriage situation. Well, you have a wife that's a mother that's been raised one way, and now you have a husband that's been raised another way. I'm not saying it's always the man that does this or always the woman that does that, but discipline is different in each family. You're being too hard on him. You need to be, watch what you say. That's harsh to her. You, you got to be more reasonable. I, these are the things I would say to Tracy all the time. <laughs> no, but <laughs> I'm joking. But you know what I mean. You guys know what I mean. It's hard, you know. But, but I'll tell you, it's hard to walk with the Lord, especially when you're a young Christian. I was thinking about this this morning. And I was saying, Lord, um, and I was thinking of this verse, you know, let me, let me read it again. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. And I was thinking of how, Lord, is it hard for the believer 
Is it hard to carry the yoke, the yoke of misunderstanding, the yoke of wandering, the yoke of doubting? Is it because you placed within our hearts and our minds perfection? Because, guys, what troubles us? I mean, honestly, when you think about it, what, what troubles us? When we're, when we're approaching God, what troubles us? Well, things aren't perfect. God, I just prayed, and, and that prayer should be answered, like, now. I mean, because you're a perfect God, and, and, and there's no hesitation with you. And, and, and why would you, you know, allow me to go through this season of doubt or, or you know, whatever it might be? And, you know, guys, this is training. This is training. You know, the Bible says train a child in the way he should go. Um, training, 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 training. It's, it's something that I think in one hand it never ends. It changes, though. If we have a good relationship with our children, it's never going to end. Some of my children will call me yeah, they're all adults, and they'll, they'll ask Tracy or I about something. What do you think about this? What do you think? We don't meddle in our children's affairs, especially, you know, they're married. You know, you, you want to you be that mo- <laughs> mother-in-law? Meddle. You want to be that father-in-law that they don't want around? Meddle. Let them live. <laughs> And let them approach you and say, how did you guys do this? What do you think of that? I, I love that. I, I just think it's such a blessing, you know. But, you know, we train our children. Um, do you, those of you who have adult children, do you find yourself talking to your adult children about things that topics that you never ever brought up when they were younger because it was not needed? It wasn't something you would you would ever bring up, you know. And but then you find yourselves talking about something, and then maybe you find yourself sharing a little bit something, you know, about your background or maybe a struggle you had. It's kind of this give and take. They see something. I, well, I didn't know that you. I didn't know that you struggled with those things as well. Um, you know, everything doesn't have to be so heavy. You know what I mean? I think sometimes life is heavy enough, you know. But I think that the enemy gets a foothold when there is a lack of communication or when there's assumption. Oh, my parents never struggled like this. Or there must be something wrong with me because my brother would never struggle like this. My sister would never struggle like this, you know. And when you're able to talk with people, you realize, no, we all struggle. The Lord's training us. I love that verse. I don't know. I'm, I'm rambling. But I just, I love that verse. It says, uh, verse 28, let him sit alone and keep silent. I, I love verses like that. Because we don't do it enough. It's like, shh, don't say anything. Hi, I just called to talk. No, talk to, hang up the phone. Don't talk to anybody. Shh. Sit alone with the Lord. Talk to the Lord. I have yet, when I'm sitting there, I was doing it today. Lord, I wish that da 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 da. Lord, will I ever learn da 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 da? Lord, I, I do that quite often. I've yet to have the Lord say, well, let me give you an answer. <coughs> Ever. But I have always experienced his peace. It's almost as if he just kind of, he lets me vent, almost like Jeremiah does. Lord, you've done this and you've done that and, and there's this and there's that and vent, vent, vent. Sit alone. Think. Remember Ponder, shh, don't talk to anybody else. Talk to the Lord. And then you find yourself saying, Lord, you are so gracious, you are so kind. 
I'll tell you, you know, something I think is seriously wrong as we're growing older and maturing in our faith with the Lord, something is seriously wrong if we don't have these ongoing epiphanies <laughs> that, Lord, you are so gracious to use a person like me, to deal with a person like me. See, there's too many people that almost act like they're, you know, they're, they're the prize, you know. And, you know, yes, God, I'm here once again. What would you like me to do for you? You know, and, and I just think, man, I don't, I don't understand people like that. Because the longer you live with yourself, I was coming back from Manicortis today. And, and uh, I was uh, thinking, I do a lot of thinking and talking. I look like a crazy person when I drive. And, um, but... I was thinking, and all of a sudden, I had this thought that came through my mind, and it just, it really just kind of, it was like, oh, gosh. And I just felt sad. And I felt, I felt sad for my wife. And I just said, Lord, I, and then I was so thankful for my wife. And it was like, you know, I know that the thought was from the enemy because it was something that was condemnation. You know what I mean? Just kind of my own failures. And and I know what we need to do with the condemnation, but it just kind of came on me. It was just kind of heavy. And I just kind of thought, gosh, my wife is so loving and so patient and so long-suffering. And and I I hope that I hope that she knows how much I love her and, you know, these types of things. And I think that's a healthy thing when, when you feel like even in, when maybe the enemy's trying to throw you a, you know, a curveball, you know, to discourage you, you could bring it right back to the Lord and say, you know what, Lord, but, but you, Lord, but you, Lord, but you, Lord. Anyway, let him sit alone and keep silent because God has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. I like that. There may be yet, or there may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to one who strikes him and be full of reproach. For the Lord will not cast off forever. And it goes on and on. L look at verse, um, let's see. I, I, I can, look at verse, am I, let's go down to verse 39. Why should a living man complain or murmur? A man for the punishment of his sins. Um, I wrote in my Bible, take your lumps. Take your lumps. We learn from the discipline of the Lord. I, um, I shared something, I said something, uh, last men's thing about an encounter my dad and I had and I regretted saying it afterwards because I thought some of these guys are going to think well man his dad was abusive that's what's wrong with dad <laughs> you know you know and I was thinking you know it was a weak moment for my father and uh, he overstepped the line but I never doubted his love for me until I became a Christian then I doubted his love for me but but as growing up I never doubted his love for me and you know that you can be disciplined, and as long as you know that you're loved, then the, the discipline is, is, is easy to bear. Well, if that's true for a child and their parent or parents, how much more is that true for the child of God and their Lord? You know, the Lord is disciplined. Why is he doing that? Because he loves me. He just wants, you know... He just wants me to, to be humble. He wants me to grow up. He wants me to mature. He wants me to trust him. And we would never trust the Lord if we did not go through the difficulties, the hardships, the times of doubting. If everything was perfect all the time. And don't believe people, because you'll always run into Christians that will act like they've never doubted, they've never wrestled, they've never struggled. They, they're lying. They're fakes. 
But if we never went through those hard times, we would never appreciate the easy times. And we would never, you know, learn the lessons that the Lord is trying to teach us. Look at verse 40. Let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in, uh, to God in heaven. We have transgressed and, re and uh, rebelled. You have not pardoned. You have covered yourself with anger. And then it goes back into the discipline of the Lord. If you had turned to the last few verses... Verse 64, Jeremiah says, Repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. Give them a veiled heart or a heart of sorrow. Um, your curse be upon them. In your anger, pursue and destroy them from under the heavens of the Lord. No. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place where you're you know, you're, you're being attacked and you're, you're frustrated and it's like, Lord, get them. Just get them. Let them experience what, what I've experienced, what I'm experiencing. In, in Psalm 28, it's the Psalm of David, uh, he had a similar encounter. He says, uh, do not take me away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity who speak peace to their neighbors, but evil is in their heart. Give them according to their deeds and according to the wickedness of their endeavors. Give them according to the work of their hands. Render to them what they deserve because they do not regard the works of the Lord nor the operation of his hand. He shall destroy them and not build them up. You know, you look at that and you can understand it on a human level. But as Christians, of course, we have a different standard, don't we? So, that, so, you know, I think we have it harder than Jeremiah and David. Because they could pray. But Jesus has set us an example. Jesus, he's hanging up on the cross. They revile him. They... They mock him. They spit on him. They beat him. They, they hit them, him with their fists. They slap him with their open hand. They pull out his beard. They beat a crown of thorns on his head. They pierce his hands and feet. They, I mean, just, uh, you know, horrific, horrific things. And what does he do? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I mean, that's the example that Jesus gives to us. And in, in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, you could turn there. Why don't you turn there? 1 Peter chapter 2. Dealing with suffering, 1 Peter. In verse 21, it says, For... To this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, speaking of the Lord, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously." who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So you look at this and you say, oh, it would be so hard to go through difficulties like that. Maybe you've gone through difficulties. You know, I, I mention uh, parents. I know a lot of people have been raised in abusive homes. I, I can't imagine that. That would be very hard. We had challenges in our home, but we were never uh, neglected. We were never 
um, you know, all of our needs were met and, and more. We lived a very easy life compared to so many people. As a adult Christian and pastor, I've, I've met a lot of people who have undergone a lot of abuse and it's so sad, it's just so moving when you hear about some of the things that people have gone through. But what do we do with it as Christians? You know, we forgive. That seems impossible at times, doesn't it? How do I forgive? How can I forgive something like that? We have no other choice but to forgive. Um, I think that there's a misunderstanding, you know. I think some people think that forgiving means that I'm condoning. No, it doesn't. We could forgive somebody without condoning the things that they've done. Um, or I think sometimes people think, well, if I forgive, then I need to accept that person back into my life. I don't necessarily think that that's true either. You know, a, a person who was, who's been abused by somebody can forgive them, but I don't think it would be a wise choice to let that person back into your life. You know. Um, but I just, you know, I look at this whole thing in Lamentations, and I identify with what Jeremiah was experiencing, the hardships, and I've never been through anything like that or even close to it, but, but just knowing, you know, when you're going through difficult times, a lot of times for me, they've been emotional things, um, and you kind of wonder, Lord, where are you in this, you know? And then to kind of go from that to a place where you remember the faithfulness of God and you just kind of find that nest, that refuge. And it's like, oh, Lord, this is so good. This is so rich. How could I, how did I forget this about you? Your character is so wonderful. You are beautiful for every situation, Lord. I'll never forget this, Lord. I'll never forget your wonderful character until we forget it again because we're in another trial. Another difficulty. But you know, guys, as long as we're continuing to walk with the Lord, the Lord is training us. He's teaching us. And, and we might not feel like it at, at the moment, you know, but we're getting better. We're growing. We're maturing. Our faith is becoming more stable in the Lord. Guys, listen. We never can let down our guard when it comes to walking with the Lord. Our part is to seek the Lord. Our part is to wait upon the Lord, seek the Lord, pursue the Lord. But, but guys, we can never let down our guard. Do you guys know any older people, and it might even be your parents, do you guys know any older people who um, they seemed faithful when they were younger? They raised their children in the Lord. They went to church, and you know they just kind of had this model of you know what a Christian family should look like. But then they got divorced, and they're not even walking with the Lord any longer. Do you guys know any people like that? I know people like that. I know pastors like that. And I just think, what happened? I've had friends like that. You were pastoring that church. How could you up and divorce your wife? And, and as they begin to speak, they sound like everyone else that, that any pastor ever counsels that comes in and says, I just don't love her. I don't know that I've ever loved her. 
And he say, man, you, you sound like everybody else. You sound like the world. You don't sound like someone who sat alone and carried the yoke. You don't sound like one who sit alone quietly and, and pondered these things and said, Lord, would you help me? You know, maybe I'm in a loveless marriage, but maybe it's, you know, partially my fault. And help me, Lord, to, to mend what's been broken and to, to you know, do my part to, to, to fix uh, what I can, you know. And it just seems like there are so many people that just give up. And it's just so sad. I just heard of another friend of mine today that his marriage is over. And, and I'm just thinking, what's happening? What's happening? You know, the Bible says that there's one biblical reason for divorce, and that's adultery. Paul gives another reason, abandonment. So if the, if the wife or husband leaves, then that, that, the believer is free. You know, you're not bound to the person who's not there. They're, they're off. They're going. They're, they're doing their thing. So there is no, you know, but, but there are so many that are giving up on their marriages. And I think of the stumbling block that must be to their children. Don't you think that would be a stumbling block to your children? Our marriages, the picture we have of the covenant that God has with us. <laughs> Should we be surprised that so many kids are leaving the faith? If they're looking at marriages and even marriages in the church and they're saying, this is the example? So, so I'm supposed to be impressed by the fact that, you know, that my relationship with the Lord Jesus is like being betrothed to him. That the Holy Spirit is like an engagement ring guaranteeing that we will be one one day. I'm supposed to be impressed by that. When, I'm, when the people around me can't even stay committed to, to one another. So we've got to be so careful that we don't let down our guard. We've got to grow up spiritually, right? We can't live off of feelings. I feel this, I feel that. There's a lot of people. I'll tell you, pastoring today, for me, on one hand, it's a lot easier than it was when I was a younger pastor because I didn't understand the, you know, it's a, it's a point of this kind of, you know, by God's design that a young man should carry the yoke. I did, so I didn't understand that. So I, I wrestled a lot with the Lord. So it's easier on, on, on that, uh, you know, factor. But it is harder... Uh, than it's ever been because there seems to be a very shallow experience that most people have with the Lord. And it's only because they don't desire more from the Lord. And it, I think it's more difficult today because a lot of the younger people, I'm not picking on the younger, I'm just simply pointing out, a lot of the younger figure, people, it's a, a lot about feelings. So I feel this, I feel that. Oh, I went to this church, I just felt the Holy Spirit. Well, explain it. What do you mean? Well, the music, you know, the, the music was just like the right tempo and and they had the lights going and the you know once the fog machine came on man i just felt the presence of god in that place wow and it's all by design and the lord i'm guaranteed i i know for sure that the lord would say listen you want to be close to me get alone with me Put your mouth in the dust. You, 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 you have a lot to say. I know you have a lot to say. But, but listen to me. Just listen. Remember Job? I mean, I, when I picture Job, you know, he's just, 
you know, why is this happening to me? You know, the boils. He's sitting alone. No one's to be right. I, I picture this man that, that reeks. His skin stinks. All these open wounds. His, he goes home and his wife says, curse God and die. Thank you, honey. Thank you. I'll, I'll be out here under this tree. I'll be sleeping out here in the little doghouse <laughs> built for myself, you know. And, it, you know, his, his friends, they come and they have this wonderful advice every day, every day. You know, Job, it's your fault all this stuff is happening to you. If you were more righteous, if you were a righteous man, you know, you would be going through these things. And the condemnation and the guilt and everything. But here's the problem. Jeremiah, or, or Job, knew the Lord. He knew the character of God. He was a man who no doubt carried the yoke in his youth. He was a man who no doubt sat with his mouth in the dust on more than one occasion. And he wrestled. And he says, I know I'm not perfect. But I haven't cheated anybody. I'm not stealing from people. I'm not lending money at interest. I'm not coveting my neighbor's wife. I'm not coveting my neighbor's stuff. I'm not perfect. Far from it. But God is gracious. God is kind. God is merciful. God gives. And God takes away. Naked I came into this world, and naked I will go out of this world. And his friends, they had these explosions in their brain every time he would talk because they would just say, what's wrong with you? And here was a man. You want to see a man who knew the Lord read Job and say, Lord, make me a man like him without the boils, if possible. <laughs> Lord, we thank you. We love you. We thank you for your word. We just pray that we would take whatever application we can from this or should from this. We pray that we would take it. Pray for those who are going through it right now, Lord, that uh, surely don't want to make light of their tribulations, their trials, their troubles. Uh, it's hard to go through these things, but we're promised these things in this life. We just pray, Father, for those that are going through it, that they just keep their eyes on you, Lord. Would you give them a glimmer of hope even tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.